Myers. I'm John Anderson. Meet my co-host, Nick Best, and Akeem Williams. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show. Buckle up tight, because we're going to be talking about the shit you're not supposed to be talking about. We're going to be discussing anything and everything it takes to become a legend of iron. Legends of Iron is brought to you by Muscle Mints. Muscle Mint is the creator of Carnival Pure Beef Protein Icing. Beef builds muscle and Carnivore is the world's number one selling beef protein. And don't forget to try our new Carnivore flavor, Rocket Pop. Oh, damn! Whoa, this is it right here. Wow, is this is protein? Delicious. This is so good to be protein. Woo, we about to change the game with this one. You're gonna love it. Welcome to another edition of Legends of Iron. I am John Anderson. With me always, my part of the crime, Nick Best and Akim Williams. We have got one hell of a show for you today. This guy is just knocking the dick in the world of straw man right now. Just completely, just literally just lighting the place up. We would like to bring to you Mitchell the Moose Hooper. What is going down, brother? Welcome to the show. Yeah, hello. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited. Yeah, we're oh. excited to have you here, brother. You, I, I, we got to just go right to the jump. I mean, <clears throat> you showed up to World's Strongest Man this year, and the only way I can describe it is you just kicked the dick in of that whole goddamn show, man. <laughs> Talk to us about how that went for you. I mean, you were you were just having this amazing experience. Talk us through what that was like for you. What's the, to give us your monologue? Tell us what you're thinking. It must have been so goddamn exciting. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it was really good. The uh, to backtrack from the invites awards, I was I was sent a, an email saying, you know, your potential. Then two weeks went got went by and guys started posting their invites and whatnot. And two weeks after that, I was told I was a reserve. And that was probably the most stressful two weeks of the whole experience, trying to know if I was in or if I was out. Then yeah. a couple of weeks after that, I got the official invite, which was really exciting. Uh, then, yeah. you know, then I got the group of death and I sort of had my... <laughs> <laughs> I had my thoughts, I had my ideas, and you know I'm I'm very objective with with what I'm capable of. So the day before the first day of the heats, I was sitting with with Colin Bryce around the fire, and he was talking mm -hmm. about the path for me to to get through to the finals, and talked about who I might be able to beat if I came third in in my group, who I might be able to beat in the stone off, and I sort of went through event by event and said I, I'm pretty sure I'll win this group. To be honest with you. And that, that came to fruition. And then, you know, my, my thoughts for the final sort of came to fruition as well, where I, I never did a truck pull before. I never did power stairs before. Uh, I didn't have the ability oh, no to practice shit. behind the neck. Yeah, I didn't have yeah. the ability to You've practice. You've never done a the... truck pull before? No, no, it's just kind of learning. Oh, my on the spot. God. Oh, my God. So, hold on, hold on. All of you listeners out there, please understand what this man just told us. He was competing at the Super Bowl of Strongman doing a truck pull and he'd never fucking done the event before please understand the challenges this man was up against and still just again knock the dick in the whole damn contest so keep going brother i'm sorry to interrupt yeah you. well and to give some perspective to that because there's been a bit of backlash on why didn't you pull a truck before and it was only my fifth competition ever so i oh, 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 hold on hold on yeah i know what that's better 
Okay. So not only it never pulled a truck, this is the fit like five is in fitting on this hand. That was your the the Super Bowl of Strongman was your fifth ever competition. That's insane, brother. Holy yeah, shit. Well, that's how good he is. That's literally how good he is. Oh, I didn't know that, brother. The Strongman world is in big years. trouble here. If you that's your fifth contest, just imagine what the seventh is gonna be like. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Well, no pressure, but so the final <laughs> um, coming into it in, in the video before the groups came out, I predicted the whole thing on a YouTube video. And I said, I think I'll come somewhere between third and sixth. And I think I, even though I hadn't done it before, I, I, I underperformed on the power stairs, just a really stupid mistake on that. I, I think I should have won that event. A stupid mistake on the stones. You know, I think if that competition so was run the next day, just having the experience of doing all the things once, I, I think oh I would have come second or third, to be honest. Wow. What do you think your mistake on the power stairs was? Well, I didn't really realize that you should put the two things. There was a, there was a technical mistake and then there was just a, a mental error. I didn't, uh, I didn't think through that you have to have the implement on the edge of the stair to be able to swing it forward. So I got to the seventh yep. stair in first place and I swung that too far on to the seventh step and it was right butt up against the eighth step. And I couldn't uh, really figure out, I was a bit tired as well. I couldn't figure it in my head what, what was going on, why I couldn't do it. So there was that element. There was also the element of, like, I should have just thrown my head back, swung my torso back. Instead, I was kind of literally half curling the thing up. But mm -hmm. I think if that was further away from the eighth step, I would have got the next two and Max, I was, I was up against Max and he won and, and I was, um, not far ahead, but but reasonably ahead at that stage. And I, I think I would have won that event and that's four points there. And I was two seconds off of top five in the truck pool and that's four points there. Yep. Already Jesus you're talking, Christ. that's up to the podium. So, you know- No, I, no, no. His truck pool was was amazing because he, he didn't know how to start the track. I mean, getting the momentum going. And then he, so he- Yeah, the first fights, six inches he, is everything. You know? he gets, but he gets the momentum and is able to accelerate the truck in an area of the course that guys aren't accelerating in, they're already at top speed and still comes in with a really fast time. What, I mean, what is your height and weight, brother? Uh, I'm six foot three, uh, about 315. So the, you're, you're not one of the, the, the giants and you're just extraordinarily powerful and clearly gifted at the sport, brother. This is going to be fun to watch you develop. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. I think well, that the ceilings, ceilings certainly high, but, uh, Alexei Novikov and Martins Lisas have certain, certainly paved the way for not having to be massive anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. So, well, now, you didn't really have a cool. chance to, to train the Flintstone lift. No. So you went out there and pressed that from the front. Yeah. And you, you, <laughs> and you ended up with like 463, right? Or, no, I I did 475 in training, and then I, mm. I, I narrowly missed I think 470, uh, mm. but I, mm. I hit the I hit the 440. But it just for whatever reason it just wasn't feeling right on the day. Um, but yeah, at the at the gym I'm at, it's just a commercial gym, so we didn't have blocks to do jerks off of. We didn't have sure. pads high enough for me to go behind the neck. So I started behind the neck, and in my first session I got to I got to 185, 190 kilos, like 410 something like that. And then that felt that felt kind of crappy, and so I backed it down to 315, and I did a few reps, 
And then one of the reps, I went to drop it back on my neck and I, I dropped it too far behind and it went straight oh. from overhead to the ground. And wow. as soon as that happened, I just kind of said it. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> it, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so the, so the crazy part of it, and I didn't know, I mean, I, you had this phenomenal performance. And just for being kind of a newer uh, name in that contest, it was. But now that we understand that you had little, little to no experience with a lot of stuff you were doing, this makes it much sweeter, brother. Oh my God, your story! <laughs> no, people don't know. Everybody that saw what's going on, you know, myself included, saw you just fucking just kill it, not understanding mm -hmm. the lack of experience that you had with this stuff. This makes it mm -hmm. so much sweeter. The story is is amazing. It makes it sweeter, but it also stings that if I knew I was going to make it through to the finals, perhaps I would have sought out a CrossFit gym where I could have practiced behind the neck pressing. Uh, perhaps I would have arranged a harness in a truck. But the thing that seems to differentiate me from most strongmen is I sort of have my priorities very clear. And into this prep to World's Strongest Man, it was my fifth contest ever. And you got to think, yes, it's World's Strongest Man, but anyone who it's their fifth contest ever are you going to start uh, commandeering a truck and carving out entire days to go drive two, three hours to go to a proper training facility? And uh, for me yeah. at the time, it just wasn't worth it. And moving forward, it probably will be because there's a lot of leverage that can come from it. Yeah. But at, at the mm -hmm. time, it just wasn't worth it. And there's just some people who don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, I'll tell you now, totally now that you're on a different platform, spending that little bit of time to go do that is really going to start paying you in a big way in competition. And <clears throat> obviously, coming the way you did people love new faces coming in hot and you are definitely that right now brother so you know put pour on the steam and this this is this is a great platform for you to grow in terms of an athlete and for a business too good for you, you know? yeah well you know i think and, and nick nick can attest to this i think throughout the whole experience i i was i, I allowed myself to have more fun than anyone else and mm -hmm. i've been through a lot yeah. of sports and i'm just enjoying the hell out of all of this however long it lasts how yeah. old are you, bro? I'm 26. Oh my god! It just keeps getting better. I'm, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for some sort of chink in the armor, but it's just it just gets better and better. You're young, very little experience. You're just fucking cock strong. I mean, and cock strong is like the best compliment, you know? Like because there's those people that are strong. And then there's people that look strong, and then there's people that are just so much stronger than they look, and that's cock strong, and that's what you are, brother. You know, holy <laughs> shit. Well, he's wow. also got a 475 kilo deadlift too. Oh mercy! Yeah. Okay, where, so and where, he's, where's and he's, let's and just, he's lightning fast. So he's let's just ask: fast. Is there a weakness in in your repertoire here? Is it just the fact that you're so new? Is that the biggest weakness there is? Yeah, that's the that's the glaring weakness. The the weakness that I thought would show up at Worlds would be nerves, but that didn't exist at all at any stage. Uh, recovery was really good, so all of those sort of physiological characteristics are really good. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the stuff that I haven't been exposed to before, the things I haven't done. Like I I, I didn't train Atlas Stones with Tacky through my whole prep to World's Strongest Man because I was doing them in my mom's basement. I didn't want to I didn't want to get Tacky everywhere on her. Um, so just really basic stuff that I, I gotta, um, you know, I, I gotta get a little bit stronger and a lot smarter and I'm going to be pretty hard to beat, I think. So what, what do you do? Oh, I mean, I'll obviously agree. you're, you're an elite strongman now, but you mentioned basically prior to this contest, it just didn't make sense to you to drive 
hours to go find a truck or proper equipment. What, what do you, what, what do you do? So I own a clinical exercise physiology practice, uh, that opens, oh, okay. yeah, that opens three weeks before world's strongest man. So it's actually pretty horrendous timing. Oh um, God. and so, you know, that's my, um, that's Jesus my real passion. Christ. So I have, I have two businesses at the moment. One is the, the clinical exercise physiology practice uh, downtown in my hometown. Um, and the other is, is the online business that's tied to Strongman. And my intention with the online business was basically to quit that when I moved back to Canada to start the, the practice. But when I started seeing the, the mental health benefits that people get from Strongman, it's, uh, it, it was too good and too meaningful to give up. So I talk a lot about how strongman's not my world and I don't put a lot of weight into professional strongman competitions aside from the leverage that you can get from gaining a following, gaining an audience. But what I have a lot of respect for, a lot of reverence for uh, is at the community level when you have people who have never exercised before, maybe someone who's never had anyone cheer for them before and they'll go try and deadlift 60 kilos and you'll have 20 people going crazy for them. And that's really a life-changing moment for that person. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. the bit of strongman yeah. that, that's deeply ingrained in me and what I really love. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, this story just keeps getting better and better, brother. Oh, my God. You know? So you're young. You're basically an entrepreneur. You're strong as hell. You've got – you're basically kind of at the front end of all of this, all of these really great things in your life. This mm -hmm. is – you're, you're – clearly, you're one of those guys that, you know, when you set your mind to something, you do it. Because everything that you're doing, you're doing well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do my best to do that. But it's also uh, very scary to have things that could fall to me like a deck of cards. You know, like I could <laughs> I could get hurt and Strongman could go away. So that's why, it's, yeah. that's why I'll always speak in however long Strongman lasts or if I'm able to go to the next World's Strongest Man. Because only, only athletes will understand you could pop a hamstring off the bone and never be in condition to compete again. So I think it's really important <laughs> to keep it in context of – you yeah. are who you are, not what you do. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's pretty wise for a young man. I got to tell you, man, that you're, 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 uh, talk to us about your education. Did you, you, you strike me as a guy that's done, you, you've done, you've, you're probably well studied. Yeah. Yeah. I did my uh, bachelor's degree uh, in human kinetics at the university of Guelph. So I got my bachelor of science with honors there. Uh, then I did, uh, I was the head strength conditioning coach for a pro basketball team here in Canada. Uh, after that, I went to Sydney. So that's why I was in Australia for a while. Uh, and I did my master's in clinical exercise physiology down there, uh, which, like I said, is exercising people with injuries, chronic conditions and, and preventing chronic conditions. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, just clinical practice after that. But uh, yeah, you know, I think um, I've spoken with this a, a fair bit on other podcasts, but I think there's a there's a blessing to have having a, a history of um, you know mental health issues to an extent and it's never been anything crazy bad but I think uh, I think more about why I'm here and what I'm doing than other people I think for that reason because there has been times when I have to come up with a reason of why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing and I've also had a lot of a lot of failures when you could look at, at successes on the surface and say I played college football I ran marathons. I did bodybuilding, but 
uh, with college oh, football, shit. I was supposed to go pro and I gave it up because I didn't like it. With with marathon running, I wanted to, to qualify for the Boston Marathon and I didn't end up qualifying. With bodybuilding, I, I came literally last place in my division. So yes, on the surface, they're crazy successes, but they're also things that I've given up and I, I've had to strip myself from identifying with what I do. Yeah. Question. Uh, somebody had, there was a rumor you're a really good golfer too. Yeah, I was at, at uh, 16, I was a, a plus two handicap. Um, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. I think this show, this show is going to turn into us asking you what else are you good at? <laughs> maybe, so, maybe an easier question to ask is what are you not good at? <laughs> uh, when I was, when I was 14, I went down to, to Florida. And I don't know if any of you guys know who Sean Foley is. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, so he, was, he was Tiger's coach during his prime, and he ran mm -hmm. a golf school uh, for for teenagers. Basically, you you went to high school and spent your time golfing and learning under him. I went there for a week to see if I wanted to do that. When I was fourteen, I was invited down, and you know, I just psychologically wasn't ready to move away from home and whatnot. But yeah, I very well could be a professional golfer right now if things went that route. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. <laughs> If you, if you take life and you strip it all away, a man wants choices. Choices yep. makes a man happy. Brother, you have had, you've got choices. Right? Oh, my God. I mean, you've, you've had so many opportunities. You've chose to move on to find something better for you. I, I got to tell you right now, bro, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm surprised in a very good way. This is, I'm so happy that you're on the show because I'm telling you right now, I would imagine most people like myself, you know, saw you compete, you knew you for a little for a little bit from social media, had zero clue of what what you what the moose is really all about. You know, yeah, and this yeah. this is really fucking cool, brother. So hold, talk to us a little bit about your family. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm assuming you've got to have some sort of a tight unit to be kind of this, I guess, say good at everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to, to touch on things, I, I think I'm not good at some things that are much more important than being good at golf. Like, for example, I'm I'm terrible at forgiving people. Um, mm, I, I can, okay. you know, when I'm when I'm when I get set on a certain direction to do something, like sometimes spending time with family falls by the wayside. So it's things like that that I find that I struggle with, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm envious of other people who can strike the balance a bit better. Uh, mm -hmm. But in terms of my family, um, I have a, a fiance that I live with and, and two dogs. Uh, she's a veterinarian. And uh, then I have my, my mom and stepdad. They both live in my hometown. That's, that's where I live at the moment. Um, then I have a sister uh, and she's got a fiance. And then my dad lives in my hometown as well. My parents split when I was four. Uh, my dad is very much a, a blue collar worker. Uh, he did snow removal, grass cutting. Uh, him and I, when when I was four or five, we'd do the every other weekend type thing. And we'd go out and deliver newspapers together. And then from six, seven, eight, I'd, I'd be shoveling snow with him in the middle of the night and falling asleep between driveways and whatnot. <laughs> um, my mom's done a, a variety of things uh, and now she owns a, a couple of properties. And then, uh, you know, a lot of inspiration I get uh, and a lot of where I think my mentality comes from. My, my grandfather did really, really well in the lumber business and bought um, bought a lumber yard from his dad and turned him himself into the major supplier for um, Lowe's and Home Depot in North America. Wow. Man. Nice. 
crazy, yeah. brother. So, you know, I think I, I look at I look at my family situation and I see my mom's side and my grandpa and I see what, what the fruits of your labor can look like. And mm -hmm. I see my dad's situation, who's the hardest working guy I know, the sweetest guy I know, but you, you make a couple of bad decisions or you, you present yourself wrong to the wrong people and uh, it can it can alter your life very quickly. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that no, the truth? That, that's so true. I mean, a lot of times you find the guy who, you know, it's it can just be one simple thing that can kind of change where a person will end up. But I mean, clearly with all of what you're talking about and all your influence, you you sure took the, the best of all because you're you're quite a creature, brother. I mean that in a very, the most complimentary way possible, you know? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, I think just having the perspective of both sides is my biggest strength. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, from even when I was six, seven years old, I'd go spend the weekend at my dad's who, who lives quite humbly. Uh, and then I'd go back to my mom's who, you know, lived in a, a mansion and, and I'd cry to myself at that young going, why, why do I deserve any of this? Same thing. I'd go on trips to Europe with, with my, my mom, my grandpa, my whole family, and everyone would be having a great time. And it would get to a stage where I just felt like I was been given way too much for what I was contributing. Uh, so I've really had that perspective for a very long time. Uh, and I always say to my mom, my, my goal is to try to give back more to people than has given to me. Uh, but she's making that job extraordinarily hard with what's been given to me. And then I go through, I go through these experiences and, and I meet, like, I meet so many incredible people who are so generous and so kind. And it's like this debt that's never going to be repaid. Brother, <laughs> if there were more people in the world that had like you had your mindset, the world would be a very different place. I mean, yes, it would. I mean, yes, I, what would. you just said is like, it's, it's, it's kind of blowing my mind in a very good way. I mean, you just don't hear people, especially at 26 years old, you know? I, 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 I'm, I'm curious as to what got you into powerlifting, into strongman powerlifting, because from your background and what you said, you know, it really didn't come from a powerlifting background. So why did you pick up the iron? Well, I always enjoyed lifting heavy. That's probably the consistent thing from when I was 16. If I were to go to the gym, I would tend just to test my one rep max literally every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, were were you, know, you like a crazy strong teenager also? Uh, ish. I mean, I have some funny videos of uh, <laughs> like a, a, trap bar, a trap bar deadlift of 600 pounds i was 18 at the time you know trapped by deadlift 600 pounds and the worst squat you've ever seen in knee wraps of 500 pounds so i'm not i wasn't strong like some of the teenagers you see now mm -hmm. uh fairly strong but i i just seek to to objectively improve myself in some way consistently and i think what's important about that and what bodybuilding really taught me is if you do anything off of how you feel you're always going to end up in a place where you're you're not happy with the result because you can you can talk yourself out of something. So that's where marathon running came into play. And then I, I just happened to stumble across a gym that did powerlifting, and that was another great way to fulfill that objective. Uh, and then I did that for six months. I found it, um, you know, I, I won the Australian championship, but I found it pretty boring, just the three lifts, and it, it took away all athleticism and all that. Uh, and then that just naturally evolved into strongman. Gotcha. So talk to us about you. You've done worlds was your fifth contest. Yeah. Talk us through the first four. Uh, two state qualifiers and, and two state championships. Uh, in my first competition, I qualified for the amateur Arnold's in Australia and that got canceled. Then 
my next competition was a qualifier for um, the New South Wales state title. And I won that one, narrowly won that one. And then I won the New South Wales state title again, pretty narrowly. Uh, and then I did uh, ACT states, which is just the neighboring state in Australia. And I won that, but it was mostly after the New South Wales state title. That was, that sort of synced up with when Worlds was. And I looked at the numbers that I was doing and I looked at the numbers that those guys were doing and just objectively, I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I belong there. I'm pretty sure I could be there. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally five contests, your fifth contest, excuse me, four contests, and then to the big show. And the fact that you have the mindset, like you just explained, you just kind of objectively broke it down. Like I belong here and you showed up and you managed all of your nerves and you had a good time and you performed like a champ brother. This is, this is some like serious, like, I guess you just mental fortitude to kind of sum it up. I mean, you kind of, you've got the mental toughness, but you've also got the way to objectively look at things and recognize where you, where you should be and then go do it. You know? Yeah. And it's also the, the flip side is really important as well in understanding what you can't do. Cause then you don't put pressure on yourself to do that. You don't get worried about doing things that you're not capable of, but I wish, you know, it's, it's just, I, I find a lot of comfort in objectively looking at anything. And like to the bane of my fiance's existence, if we get in an argument, I'll just, I'll go straight into it. Like, well, let's take emotion out of this. What makes logical sense? What's, what's <laughs> well, you're not going to win that one. You're not yeah, going to win that. Yeah. How does that work for you? Does that work? Is that, is that, is I know if this, if this works somehow, I want to know how to do it because I've tried no, that and yeah. I fail miserably. You could put, you could put uh, conflict resolution uh, firmly in the category of things I'm not great at. <laughs> uh, even the way that you even the way that you talk conflict resolution i fucking love it man you'd never know that we're talking to a guy that is you know just placed in the top of the world in, in the strength world you think we're talking to somebody who just graduated from harvard or something you know, harvard <laughs> Law. <laughs> i love it. well who talk to us about well, I, I'm going to say inspirations because I'm sure your inspirations are probably came from somewhere that I would never, never guess. Where where do your inspirations come from? Just in terms of you being the the best you can be, where where do your inspirations come from? I, I don't have a good answer. You know, I I have a lot of reverence for people who are good at many things, and okay. you know, someone like Elon Musk who who has no real reverence for what other people have done before, and he's just going to give a crack at whatever he feels like giving a crack at. I think that's really cool. Uh, but I, I don't look to, to one person and say that I'd like to emulate them in this way or them in this way. Certain people would have certain facets that I would really respect. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just, uh, I just try to, to find my own compass in a certain way. Mm. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's pretty evident when, when watching you do things. You can definitely tell you you kind of go about things in that you, you kind of figure it out, analyze it and then execute. And it, it shows. Yeah. And you know, you you, you'll see, it like that. it's, I think you, you can observe someone doing something and say, you could observe people's behavior, behavior at world's strongest man. And you could deduce a lot of things about that person just through their behavior. For example, you will see guys changing their warm up routine because they see someone else doing a different warm up routine. 
you will see guys <laughs> jumping into the ice bath because they see Brian Shaw jumping in the ice bath and Luke Somer. So I must, I might, might as well jump into the ice bath. But I've, I've never been the person to, to look at the herd and think that the thought of the masses is a good idea. And that's, that's probably a, a weakness. And in the past, I've probably spent more time going against the grain for the sake of it than, than I need to. Mm. Interesting. Sure. Interesting. I'm, I'm sure that that's what makes you unique, man. That's what makes you who yeah. you are, you know? So. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's, it's, there's it's a lot to, Yeah, there's a lot to be said for just not following the masses just because, because that's most people. Mm-hmm. Most people are happier standing in line for, they don't even know what they're standing in line for, but they're happier standing in line because everybody else is there. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think I probably side with you in the fact that I tend to go more against the grain largely just because it's what people are not doing. And I, I don't like to find myself standing in line. I don't, I don't feel like that's where I'm at my best, but you know, what cr- kills me about this, this episode so far, brothers, normally ask questions and you kind of have an idea what's coming back at you when you ask the question, this one, I have, your answers have been just like, I couldn't have guessed any of them. This has been <laughs> <laughs> totally, I mean, from a, from a standpoint of a, Listen to somebody talk. This has been a very exciting 27 and 50, 27 minutes, 54 seconds. So <laughs> I love it, brother. If you take, if you take my professional ambition and my real uh, purpose, when I want, I want the general person to extend their health span to, to match their lifespan. Uh, mm. I, I find if, if that's my mission, then I have to behave in a consistent way and a really good, a really good, anecdote is if i can go be one of the world's strongest men and i can not scream i cannot get not have someone slap me i cannot act like a wild <laughs> fancy and show people that like yes if you see me in the gym the weights are going to be louder because they're heavier but i'm also the first person who will smile and, and ask you how things are going and, and i think yep. it's it's people who look like me who scare a lot of general people away from the gym. I would scare my mom away from the gym if she didn't know me. And if I can have a 1% impact on changing that perspective, and you look at me as one of the most experienced people in the gym who might be able to lend a hand, and that makes one person more comfortable to head in and and get a workout in, then uh, I'll consider myself pretty fulfilled. Wow. That's awesome. This is this That's is this is awesome. fucking profound shit here, man. This is really really cool. I mean, I'm I'm literally just enjoying listening to you talk because you're really. I'm sure our listeners too. You're you're just what you're saying helps kind of change the dimensions of what normal. Everybody kind of has this generalized perspective, and you're really turning that around, brother. Really really powerful well, stuff. It's a blessing and a curse, you know. I think. I think I just think about things more than other people and I can't switch my brain off. I can't switch my brain off to why I'm doing something or why I'm behaving a certain way or why someone else is behaving a certain way. And uh, the positive side comes out when I start talking about my meaning and, and what fulfills me and, and my thoughts on certain things. But then you can imagine the flip side. And if something bothers me, my, my brain will just, it'll just spin the same way. So, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse in certain ways. Yeah. So how do you yeah, control yeah. that? Yeah, I'm no. gonna ask. That was right. Took the board right above my mouth. How, how, how do you, how do you <laughs> exactly? How do you control that or get your head out of that, out of that kind of like groove yeah. when you need to get out of that groove? How not, do you get well. out of that groove? Not well. <laughs> you know. Okay. It's it's uh, and when it's a curse, I still accept that it's a blessing. 
And I, yeah. I just, I've, I've come to grips with the fact that, you know, when, when I, when my head's spinning and I'm not happy, I'm never going to be the person who doesn't go to work or miss a workout or, you know, I'm just, I'm just a bit unhappy for whatever reason. And I've been able to dissociate really well the difference between fulfillment and happiness. So I can accept that I'm not happy and I can still be content that my life is moving in the direction that I wanted to, regardless of if this little thing is, is bothering me, but I'll still put myself in, uh, in, in turmoil for 24 hours at a time. Uh, but you know, I can't, I can't remember the last thing something upset me for longer than a day. Wow. That's, yeah. that's something to say right there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's really cool. <clears throat> really cool. Well, it, it's, so, I mean, you've really got a good grip on yourself. That's one thing I'm gathering, you know, you're, you understand who you are. You understand X, Y, Z, you understand the goods and the bad. So it sounds like at 26 years old, you're just kind of at the front end of, of basically you're, you're going to know yourself so much more in 10 years. I can only imagine to hear your perspectives on life in 10 years from now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is, this is the challenge between uh, sounding arrogance and sounding confident because I could very easily come on these podcasts and talk about everything that I'm, you know, I'm really good at. And oftentimes people interviewing want to speak about what you're good at. But if all I did was come on this podcast and say how good I was at golf and strongman and, and business and this and this and this, and I never touched on these areas that I struggle in. One, you 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 sound like uh, you sound arrogant, uh, and two, you're just you become extremely unrelatable. And if you're Mister Perfect, then what what client is going to listen to you? What business partner is going to listen to you? What you know? You're Mister Perfect. You're not like me. And uh, I, I think what I want to portray is now I'm pretty much exactly like you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Amazing stuff, brother. Amazing stuff. So so your your clinic, you just got this started, what, three weeks before World. So now you're, what, six, seven weeks deep into your business. How's that going? Yeah, it's it's going really well. You know, it was a whirlwind getting it started. Um, we, we got the lease, and then I had to get all the equipment, get all the carpet, and I, I carried that up the uh, – up the fire escape, up two flights of fire escape stairs, uh, about <laughs> three thousand pounds worth of equipment. So I think that helps me on the loading medleys. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was tough though because uh, Worlds obviously had a natural break in momentum. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, it's picked up really well, and, and I'm going to be bringing on uh, my first employee in uh, about two weeks' time. So I, I need some help, which is fantastic. Yeah. So. It kind of talk to us. Talk, you told us what it was briefly when you were kind of talking earlier, but give it, give a little more detail. What exactly is your clinic? What, what is, what do you guys do? So at, at the surface, it, it looks like an exercise studio and okay. it's using exercise prescription as medicine. Now this could be medicine for someone who's unwell, someone who has cancer, someone who has mobility issues, who has uh, joint replacement, anything like that. But it can also be for someone who um, needs a comfortable environment to start maintaining their long-term health. Uh, so it's it's by appointment only, and it's it's unfortunate because Canada is the only Commonwealth country without this recognized as a form of treatment. And so my big objective is to to get this first of all expand the clinics, second of all go to universities and start getting this in universities taught, and third going to the government and getting this recognized by 
our uh, our healthcare system because we're going to run into such an economic issue when we have 30% plus of the population over 60 and they're not healthy enough to take care of themselves and you know we got to start working in prevention as much as we work in in treatment so i'll see someone with cardiovascular disease and and i'll see someone with uh, diabetes i'll see someone with autism i'll see a, a teenager who their parents want them to learn to lift weights anything like that uh, so that's that's really the objective is to, to match health span to lifespan yeah and, and the way that you describe that it makes so much sense but you don't have a lot of people that actually kind of explain it the way you do and even i, I love it's preventative and what you say in the beginning is that it's exercise prescribed for X, Y, Z. That's it's so true and it's so powerful, but uh, somehow that's just not the way that most of the world views exercise. You know what I mean? No, and it's not the way most of the world views wellness. So I had a client this afternoon yep. who, um, who had a, a baker cyst, which is annoying, but it's not the end of the world. And he has never exercised in his life before. And his doctor's advice to him was total rest for, her, for three weeks. And I wonder what that doctor learned at school for them to say that that's the proper, because one, that's not even yeah. the proper prescription to treat a Baker cyst. Two, how many other things can you do that don't even involve yeah. that area? You know, so uh, it's, it's something that certainly needs to change, but you have to speak to people in a way that they'll hear it. So I need to get very comfortable, very familiar with the economic side of it when one day I end up in front of the person who makes the decision of if they're going to spend money on it. Yeah. What, what is mm -hmm. obviously you, you said in Canada, there's all of this, all these hurdles you're going to get through. Like in America, exercise is so misunderstood to the point where it's, it's, you know, it, it's like you said, exercise can be so preventative with so many things, but in, is, is it just as, is it the same in Canada as in the U S where it's just like, the furthest thing from what most people see is, is furthest thing from what you just said. Is it the same way up there? I wouldn't say it's the, the furthest thing. I, I certainly don't think it comes to a lot of people's mind when they think about their health. I think they think about, uh, they might think yes. about the factors that exercise could improve, but mm -hmm. people, some people would be surprised when you say that exercise helps control diabetes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you have cardiovascular disease, exercise, will prevent diabetes, for example. And if you have cardiovascular disease and you're on beta blockers, you'll actually never improve your aerobic capacity. So that's your new maximum. And how much more do you want that maximum to go down when you can't get up two flights of stairs? True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, brother, we need more people like you, you know, kind of fixing the balance that's, that's so screwed up because what you're saying is so true. And if we had a lot more of this, we'd have a lot healthier population, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I look at someone like Arnold, and he wasn't a particularly, or he isn't a particularly, uh, well, he is now. I suppose when he was bodybuilding, I don't think he was thinking about much other than bodybuilding and looking as good as possible. But I think uh, most of us, if not all of us on this call, he would have had an influence in us getting into the gym. Actually, mm -hmm. maybe Nicky is the same age as him. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit. I'm, I'm quite a bit younger, but okay. <laughs> his role but I am getting promoting his his role in promoting wellness was greater than anyone else that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll absolutely.
Yeah, yeah he uses platform well for sure. Speaking of Arnold, mm -hmm. talk to us about. You said you had a little little going bodybuilding. Talk to us about that. <laughs> yeah, so after I stopped American football, I went from two forty to three hundred pounds, and it was not a good three hundred pounds. I look at the scale. I distinctly remember thinking, "I I will never let myself be three hundred pounds again." And here we are. <laughs> 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 um, and you're so, a little heavier than that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, shame. And <laughs> I I started losing weight. I started, uh, you know, I was I was fairly consistently training even when I got heavier, and I kept going down and down and down. And, and I got some some really good advice that stuck with me from my high school weightlifting coach, and he was a bodybuilder. And he said to me, "Like, are you going to do a show?" And I said, I'll probably do one next year because I'm not sure. Like, I just don't think I'm ready yet. And it's off a really big cut and whatever. And he says to me, you have no idea what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Even if you come last, at least you've done something. Mm. And that's something that's really profound to me and has really stuck with me since. And, um, you know, you just got to you just gotta take every opportunity that comes to you. And mm. I have... I have a, I call it a yes policy until I have kids and I have, I have people that I need to put, put before me uh, every day, other than my fiance, uh, I, I will say yes to anything. And <laughs> it's got me into some very uh, funny situations, unique situations, meeting people <laughs> you never thought you'd meet. And it's, it's really ever since that day, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever done. So it sounds like it was, it was quite some, some real good personal growth and understanding of just kind of your progression. That's really cool. You know? Yeah. yeah. So how has that gotten you into trouble and what's the craziest thing that's led you into? Well, you know, it's, it's not crazy in the sense that, you know, most people would think of it and you ended up in jail and whatnot. Uh, Cause it's, there's obviously still a moral compass with it, but the, the yeah. best story is, Probably I, I had a client in Sydney who was a sailor and I had never sailed before and he asked me if I'd like to go sailing with it. And I said, sure. But he's, yes, he's not talking. That's right. A hundred percent. I literally, that was in my mind. I have to. And he's not talking sailing leisure. He's talking sailing proper racing, right? And oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're on the speed, speed cranks for the sails. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And wow. we're doing this. We're doing this in the Sydney Harbour. First time we go out, um, we couldn't get the we couldn't get the the headsail up, like the big front one. So that was kind of a flop. The second time we go out, uh, we we end up coming second in our category, I believe, which was awesome, really successful. Third time we go out, we're heading out towards the mark, and there's a boat ahead of us coming back from the mark. And there's all these rules on the water of who has right away that I, I have no idea. I still have no idea. And somehow there was, there was this really odd crosswind where we're, we're healed over to the right and they're also healed over to the right coming the opposite direction. And our masts end up colliding. Oh! All, all of the rigging gets caught in each other. Their mast snaps in half. There's about 300 kilos of mast hanging above the boats. Two of our guys go overboard. Whoa. One of our guys, because their boat had twisted, its nose is on top of ours. One of our guys oh. straddles the boat and tries to push it off. The boat goes into his leg. Oh. <laughs> Blood curdling scream. Uh, okay, you, you're oh. a moron. 
and I'm just I'm hanging onto the top rail, just watching the whole scene unfold. Like, how did I get myself in this situation? <laughs> right. So you're, you're thinking your yes policy got a little, a little, a little sticky here. No, this is. But these, these are the best things, right? And no, so like what I asked. These boats. <laughs> that was a great story. These boats cannot get untangled from each other, and we start just literally just drifting around the Sydney Harbor wherever the, the wind blows us. And I don't know if you guys have been sailing before, but you can imagine when the wind hits the mast, it keels the boat over really hard. Yeah. And you can imagine when two boats are tangled together, twisting, and the, the wind goes from tilting them one way to, to tilting them the other way. Super quick. It, so wow. it, was, it was insane for about two hours, trying not wow. to do things. Then we end up hitting a parked boat. And then it's this happened at about six thirty p.m. and about three p.m. we got tugged or sorry three a.m. we get tugged by this this um, tugboat and my captain had to call the harbor master who he was personal friends with to get this approved and we had to get tugged as a rig like at the two together past the Sydney Harbor under the the, the the bridge and over to safety and I have this fantastic picture that someone took of the two boats tangled together with the whole Sydney Harbor in the background. And I can't wait. I'm going to blow that up and have some type of quote and put that up in my office. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, some, something like that is like lifelong memory that I had oh, no God, business yeah. being there. Mm. Wow. That's, that's a story. That's a story right there. Holy smokes. That's crazy. So you also mentioned high-level football. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I played – well, I played a little bit of football as a kid, um, probably grade seven, eight, and my dad coached it, and you know it was it was okay. And then I played it up through high school, and I was just naturally quite good at it in high school. Then I sort of had the choice between going and playing Division One golf in America or playing American football in Canada, and I chose the sexier option, which was playing American football. And yeah, I went, I, I went through training camp. I was a defensive end and the culture was terrible. You know, it's, and it's not the culture at the school I went to, it's football culture where if, if you're a rookie, we're going to beat you up. If you're this, we're doing this. And it's the initiation. And it's maybe it's cause I grew up with a, a single mom and a sister and, and a house full of women, but I'm just, I, I have no reverence for the alpha male bravado and, I'm tougher than you and smashing your head day in and day out and practicing twice a day and doing all of these, I would consider them to be sort of moronic things uh, to be able to be one of the boys when I didn't even care to be one of the boys that much. I just, you know, I just wanted to have a bit of fun. Um, yeah. And I was also 17 at the time when I went to university. So psychologically, I don't think I was ready for the stress of, of the crowds and the environment and, it helped me grow a lot, but it, it, it certainly, if I were to go back and do it again, I, I probably would have gone back to high school uh, for another year. But I think if I reflect on most of my life, I'd said, I wish I would have done that slower, but then I probably wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you actually were playing university level football at 17. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Not that, not that well. It, it was not an illustrious career by any means. Uh, but, but you I were got good enough to be there. The team. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of 17-year-olds would, you know, that's – myself is a perfect example. Shit, I didn't even have hair in my nuts yet, you know? 
<laughs> so, you know, the thought of playing college anything would, would have been a, a dream, you know. But You're saying you, you grow hair on your nuts? <laughs> I shave it now. You know, I wish I didn't grow. All those years I couldn't wait to grow hair on my nuts. Now I shave it. Isn't that – it's just one of those things. Like, you know? <laughs> it's just a visual we don't need. Now I'm going to go to the gym and I'll be thinking about your hairy nuts, man. <laughs> well, don't worry. They're not hairy. Like I, I, like I said, I shave them. They're not hairy now. She's out of the shower. <laughs> well, that was the worst. That was the worst part. When you're when you're a fucking junior in high school and you're the only fucking guy that doesn't have a single fucking hair in his dick, that's the problem. You're you know that's the that's the issue. You know. <laughs> I don't even know how we got on this topic. I don't know. That's a good. That's, that's a good question. Oh, anyway, oh so basically, you just based, you made it to to university level football, but it just kind of wasn't for you, based upon you know the culture as you're saying, correct? Yeah, I think broadly speaking, psychologically, it wasn't something that I was ready for, and the culture contributed to that. The pressure contributed to that. You know, you're you're a kid living at a home for the first time, and you're trying to navigate so many things. And I just I wasn't prepared for what I got myself into. I, th I actually think you would have probably made a better golfer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the golfing part is is crazy too. I mean, can you pick up a golf club and go play fairly well now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I still play on a semi. Well, I can't say semi regular. It's it's the thing that makes me happiest to go to do still to this day. And really? I, I posted a video last week. I was I was at the range with uh, with my fiance, and uh, I actually I entered a. One of my one of my best friends in the city here. He's a professional long driver. So I entered a, a comp with him about Ooh. three weeks before, two weeks before World's Strongest Man. Uh, so I still love to swing the club. I, I've I'm probably about a ten handicap at the moment, which is pretty good for um, yeah for you know casual golfer. Uh, but yeah, I, I love to get up to the course as soon as I find time to do it on a regular basis. I have a golf membership. My clubs are always in my car in case I find time to go do it. And yeah, there's nothing to me. There's nothing more relaxing than heading out there and, and smacking it around. When did you start golfing? <clears throat> young, really young. Uh, I, I picked up a club for the first time when I was four or five. Oh, uh, wow. then c c competing and playing very regularly. I was probably 12 or 13. Wow. So when you, when you had a shot to go do that, uh, school slash golf with tiger woods uh coach you were like one of those elites that at that age you were kind of one of the elites that was getting a possible opportunity that most kids would die to try to get to correct yeah yeah 100 percent. and you know i i went down there i i enjoyed myself i played really well um but i never i don't know for whatever reason and only in retrospect did i know that that was that was why i was down there I thought I was down there just to, you know, hit the ball and have some fun and whatever. And my mom did a phenomenal job of painting it that way because I think as a kid, that's sort of how, and then she sort of sussed out how I felt about it afterwards. And I think, I think the right decision was made there, to be honest, because I, I really enjoyed my time. But was I ready to live away from my mom? Like, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, that's, that's a big step, you know. 
I mean, you, you mentioned basically being raised by your mom and having your sister around. I was kind of the same way. My mom raised me, you know, so I'm, I got a really strong connection to my mom as well. And so I remember even at 18, having that separation was kind of tough, let alone you're talking about being 14, you know? Yeah. And it's something that, that you have to, you have to learn it. And if I think forward to when, when my kids are of the age, when they'll move out and, um, you know, I, I think that's that's something that parents probably don't educate their kids on enough. And I think too much is made of the logistics and who's going to do your laundry and you need to learn how to cook your food. And I think not enough is made of this is going to be a really difficult emotional time because I didn't I didn't know how to cook that well. I didn't know how to do laundry that well, and that never bothered me. Uh, but feeling lonely and not having that same support system were the things that really sort of sort of got to me yeah 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 so <clears throat> you picked up your first golf club at four or five years old by 14 10 years later you're you're basically at that age one of the elites how did you just what was the process did you just play did you have a coach how did that whole thing unfold yeah i had a coach and i think the driving factor for my mom was that golf season lined up with football season so if she kept me golfing i wouldn't play football <laughs> <laughs> So I think that was the incentive. And I think that was really quite intelligent, actually. Um, and yeah, so I had a coach for probably three or four years that I went to consistently and uh, formed a really close connection with him. Uh, really, yeah, like I said, got to a really good stage. And I just, after 14, I just sort of petered off being as serious about it. I think as, as football started to pick up a bit and priorities shifted from you know playing as much sport as possible to seeing if you can get a girlfriend and whatnot and, and going from there <laughs> yeah the interest starts to change a little bit yeah <laughs> and golfers golfers at the amateur level do not get great girlfriends <laughs> uh, well, no but they do pretty well at the pro level they do unbelievably well yeah <laughs> very true they do very well so talk to us a little bit about the diet that you've kind of used over the course of, of uh, you know, you're clearly you're as strong as it gets. What, what's been your staple of what's, what's your, your methodology of dieting? Well, I have a calorie target and a number of times to eat per day target. So I try 6,000 calories, eat five times a day, which means that I need 1,200 calories a meal. In terms of protein, 300 grams is sort of my minimum. And if I'm eating five times a day, that means 60 grams of protein per meal. Essentially, that's what I base everything I do off of. And other than that, it doesn't matter to me too much. I, I, have, I have concern for my health. And I don't, want, I don't want to be a strong man who's 30, 40 kilos of fat. And uh, you know, I, I, even if it meant pulling 505 to weigh 180 kilos for six months, I'm not ready for the potential repercussions of that. So I have, I'm really lucky to have a, a meal prep sponsor who, who gives me food, uh, like just little pre-made food. I have a meat sponsor uh, who I'm really lucky to have who will give me uh, premium steaks, salmon, chicken, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, just filling in the gaps. I, going out for food is one of the things that I enjoy doing the most. So I'll go out for food probably three times a week with my uh, fiance or with friends or whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, just, just fill in the gaps and uh, sort of 80, 20 rule for, in terms of keeping things as healthy as possible. 
So when you go out to a dinner, what what's your favorite thing to order? What's your favorite meal when you're ordering at a restaurant? To be honest, food when you go out is heavy in macros, but very light in, in micros. So I don't treat going out as a meal most of the time. I'll, I'll order a meal, but it's I'll usually eat before I go so that I don't have to worry about what I'm having there. And it's really sensible stuff. You know, it's uh, I love uh, chicken club. I love uh, uh, like chicken burger. I, I just can't get my head around eating fried food for the most part. Um, yeah, just it's it's not an interesting answer. I apologize for that. Just chicken, chicken Caesar, that <laughs> brother, awesome. brother, you've given us so many interesting answers. You you could be you could be throwing bricks for the rest of the show, and we're we're in good shape here. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm also not I'm also not prepared to. You know, I'll see some guys who go out and order two meals and whatnot. I I don't care how much money I make and how much I'm worth. Spending one hundred and fifty dollars because your ass needs to order two steaks because you want to feel like a big man just doesn't it just doesn't sync up with me. <laughs> I've well, seen plenty of that. Yeah. There's also you, the bro. element. There's also the yeah. element of of. Uh, I don't I don't like to stand out in in ways when it's when I don't bring it upon myself I don't want to stand out. So if someone comments on my size or something it's sort of like oh okay I, I get it and whatever but the the comments from the waitresses and the people you're with, if you're ordering the biggest steak on the menu, Oh, I bet you, I bet you eat that. I bet that's half a meal for you. It's just, I just, I just think it's so stupid. I can't, I can't handle it. I'll tell you brother, for one of the strongest dudes on the planet, man, you, you really kind of sit back and you kind of hide away from all the, and I don't mean that a bad thing. You kind of separate yourself is a better way to put it from all the stuff that kind of all the stereotypical stuff that goes along with being a big, strong dude, you, you really keep yourself separated from that. And, uh, it's, it's, it's very unique, very interesting and, and quite very inspiring. I mean, we don't get a lot of people in your shoes that have this type of position on, you know, life in general, but even some of this stuff, like we're talking about, <clears throat> you know, in many cases, when the waitress says, Oh, you know, blah, 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 about the steak, most people are pushing deeper into that, you know? So, well, reflecting on the world's strongest man experience, I'm not near as proud of my uh, eighth place. I wouldn't even be near as proud of, of a, a first place in, in all honesty, as I would be to be considered for the character award. And as I would be when my mom was in tears because so many people came up to her and said how, how well I treated them. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that it's, it's who you are. It's not what you do. And uh, yeah. forever that will be the case. And, and it helps me in competition and it, it'll help me tremendously when I decide that I'm done with strongman and I, I will not have an identity crisis because I'm just, I'm just being who I am the whole time. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I'll tell you, brother, you've been, <clears throat> you've been putting some really, really cool perspectives into this show. And I think our listeners, our listeners are going to love it, you know? We've had you on here for almost an hour now. You're a busy dude, but got a couple more questions for you. So, and I'm really interested to hear. Oh, you got you fire away, Nick. Go ahead. Okay. So, are you going to go to Glasgow? Is it's Glasgow? The uh, giant show the, for the deadlift championships. Deadlift is Cardiff. Is where? In Cardiff. Okay. Are you are you going to that? And if you are, are you going for the 505? And what are you going to change? What do you think the difference is going to be between pulling 475 and 505? Because you pulled 475 pretty easy. Very easy. Yeah. 
you'll you'll enjoy that story as well. I'll tell I'll tell you that in a second. Um, <laughs> I, I you know I I'm going yes. Uh, I, I believe that I have the best chance to pull five oh five. I believe the chance is greater than fifty percent, uh, and uh, I think uh, I think if I needed to pull five ten, the chance is still greater than fifty percent. And uh, I'm happy to explain the logic on that. Um, yeah, because, I want to hear it, please. <laughs> so, if you just strip everything back and you take uh, training age in terms of strength sports. I, I've been in strength sports for two and a half years, and when I pulled 475, I was in strength sports for uh, maybe a year, a year and a half. Right? Nuts, so man. nuts. Let's let's consider the strength side of things, and even if you're just reasonably training for that period of time, for a relative novice, you would expect uh, a 10% increase would not be ridiculous for someone of that training age. And I don't expect to have increased my strength 47 and a half kilos. But we're starting to talk into territory where, okay, that seems reasonable in and of itself. Now, with the deadlift, the, the, the deadlift comp that I did when I pulled 475, two weeks before that was Static Monsters when I set the world record there. And a week before that, literally six days before, um, someone messaged me and told me that the reason I wouldn't get invited to World's Strongest Man, uh, I would never get invited to World's Strongest Man is because I couldn't squat enough. And I took that as a personal challenge to uh, go squat heavy. <laughs> so I had no experience in, in reps. And I said, you know, at Worlds, they squatted 317 for reps. So I'm going to squat 350 for reps and send the video to this person. <laughs> and so I squat 350 and I come up once. And if you've used wraps before, you know that you need to get used to them. You, you can't just kick into them and assume you know what you're doing. <laughs> so I go down into the hole. I go, I go to kick out, and uh, my knees extend too early, so my ass kicks up. And I complete the rep, but I lose my balance backwards a bit. So I take a step back with my right leg. My left hamstring tears. Okay, Minor tear, but it tears. The rest of the week, I was limping around, and I had static monsters six days after. I tweaked it on the the log, on the log clean at 140 in warm-ups, 300 pounds for American people. Um, and then I, I proceeded to pull the 485, which is a world record at the time, 18-inch deadlift. And my hamstring still went 100%. And I knew that I had this deadlift two weeks later. Now, the intention with the, two, the, the deadlift, the max deadlift when I did 475, was it was a charity event, and the person wanted me to come break my Australian record, which I had set three months earlier at 435. So my goal was to, to lift 440 and my utopia would be to lift a thousand pounds, which I, I tried the three months earlier and it was, uh, it, it was a failure. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really that close to be honest. And the biggest challenge with that two week period and with, with the lead up to the, uh, the deadlift championship there, is the night before we had a, a scheduled work party. And this was on a boat in the Sydney Harbor, right, just having a great time. And it was our Christmas party. So it's sort of the biggest one of the year. And so I told my fiance, I said, look, I've got the comp tomorrow. I've pulled 435 in training. I know I have 440. I just can't go in as a disaster. So what I'm going to do is the boat party starts at one. I'm going to drink from one to, to six. And then you know, I'm cutting it off. I'll start recovering and we'll get to bed at a reasonable time. 
fast forward to 1130 and there's a there's a video of me dancing around with a tray of tequila shots (laughs) 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 and then then comp kicked off at 9 a.m the next morning um so i got up that morning i didn't i didn't feel horrible you know i I didn't feel 100 percent. didn't feel horrible Uh, i was riding a motorbike at the time so I put my duffel bag on my lap. My missus was behind me. We ride the motorbike 45 minutes out to the competition. I get there and warming up, they have no deadlift bars. So I, I warm up on a stiff bar and you know, it was what it was. It didn't really bother me. Stiff bar and bumper plates. And my attempt selection was 400, um, 440, 455. So I could have two shots to break the record if I'd missed 440 and I had a chance to go a thousand if I had a good day. So we make it through, I lift 400, lift 440, uh, lift 455. And after 455, I I looked at the promoter and that was the last lift of the comp. And I told him, I I think I'm good for more. And Makarov had pulled 475. So I figured (laughs) I'll I'll give a crack at 475 as well, why not? And he says, how much time do you need? And I look up at the clock and I I believe it was 53 minutes past the hour. I said, I'll go on the hour. So I had a seven minute rest. Uh, in terms of neurologic recovery, you're talking, you need 20 minutes to get back to back to baseline after a heavy lift like that. So a few minutes later, I, I, you know, going to the bar, I had a idea in my head and I always give myself a percent chance. And I thought, you know, there's maybe a 30% chance that this happens. And then I pulled it up. And, and if you watch the video, the reason I hitched it so hard is because my, my back popped halfway up. And I just didn't, I didn't want to let it go. So it would have been a little bit smoother if not for that. Then I had briefs on that were four sizes too large. So the briefs were literally just a formality sitting there. Uh, so I have some better briefs coming, but you take all of those factors and you, you think I was in a room yeah. of 20 people. I was a bit hungover. I had briefs that didn't fit. You give me another 12 months of strength training experience and, and you put me in a room of, of 10,000 people screaming. All of that tends, it, it tends a reasonable person to believe that I, I'm at least capable of it, whether I do it or not. Yeah, I'd have to agree oh, with yeah. that. Yeah. I'd have to agree with that. Wow, brother. Well, it's going to be exciting for sure. You know, very exciting. It's, wow. yeah, it's I, absolutely amazing to know you haven't been training like two and training, years. training like this for two, two and, and a half years. years. Strength training. That's, that's, that's just, that's like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and to be clear, training for strength sports. Before that, right. my last year was running training. marathons. I still, I still trained. I still lifted weights. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not built in a lab. There's still a big training history to get here. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, what's no, your VO two max then? My VO two max. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, it wouldn't be very good. <laughs> well, when you were doing marathons, what was your VO2 max like? It, it was never anything crazy. You know, I, I had it tested at university. That was after I was done early in my strength career, so it would have been mm-hmm. closer. I was never somewhere, someone up in the high 50s, but I got myself to, I, I would imagine, I got myself in the low 50s in my best shape. So my last marathon, my best time was 324, but I was in much better shape than that in my last marathon. And I was just a total moron about it because the first half I ran in, I, I believe it was an hour 23, which put me on pace for a two hour 46 marathon. And I needed to run 305. And at, at the 32 kilometer mark, my hamstrings and quads were cramping and I just, I blew myself out. 
So I, I think I was capable of running three hours and five minutes. Um, but yeah, probably probably low fifties. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. There's been a lot of wows <laughs> on this show. <laughs> I don't think people are really going to truly understand what a freak of nature and like genetic, just an unbelievably genetically gifted person you are. And the fact that you have the work ethic and everything else to go with it, which is why you're here and the Mm -hmm. intelligence also, because you have to kind of be, you have to be pretty smart to get to where you've gotten, especially as quickly as you've gotten there. And it's, yeah. it, I just find it utterly amazing, which is why I keep shaking my head and laughing. Oh, and I got one, nothing but respect for you. 100%. You. I mean, as, as soon as you started talking in the beginning, I was like, okay, we got something different going on here. It was mm-hmm. very recognizable, very quickly, you know? So, very cool. Well, <clears throat> you're, we're, I, I hate to say this, brother, but we're probably going to have you on here many times because you are mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of fun to talk to. And with the fact that you're just getting started in your strength career, I mean, every year that goes by, you're going to flip something. You're going to you're going to flip something else on its head. We're going to have to have you back on so you can tell us about it. You know. So, let's. <laughs> uh, here's a question for you. And so, if you're 26 years old, so you're not that old, but let's just say that you had the ability to get into a time machine and travel back in your own life in your lifetime, and you. You, as you are right now, could go give yourself one piece of advice. How far back in your life would you go, and what would you tell yourself? I tend towards the the semi-common answer of, yeah, I appreciate the lessons that I've learned the hard way. Uh, but if I could go back, you know, when I was 15, 16, uh, I wasn't really a nice person. Uh, I, I got along with a lot of people, uh, but for a long time in my life, I thought that I could accomplish what I wanted to uh, on my own. And I thought if I was smart enough, I could I could present ideas good enough that people would listen to me, whether they liked me or not. And I thought if I ran a business, the best way to progress that business would be to crush everyone around me and and, and succeed that way. And if I could nip myself in the butt at 14, 15 and, and give myself the advice that you actually can't do anything with your life without the love, support, and respect of a lot of other people, uh, I would have benefited greatly from that. Uh, because you know, in high school, I was valedictorian, which in Canada is basically you have a certain, uh, a certain grade average and then it's a, it's a student vote. And I won that, but I also never went to a party because I didn't really want to be friends with anyone. Uh, in university, I would very rarely go to a party, very rarely go to the bar because I was more interested in, in training for whatever I wanted to or studying. And I didn't really see the value in building relationships with people. And only towards the end of my undergraduate degree did I realize how important that was. And that was a large element of why I went to Australia because I, I, I knew that I needed to learn the lesson of building connections. And I thought the best way to do that would be to go get off a plane, know nobody, and see how many friends you can make. And one of the most meaningful experiences of my life was uh, hosting a, uh, I hosted a going away party uh, for myself and just invited some friends over to you know say goodbye and whatever. Uh, I was able to invite six people to that party and one person showed up. Mm-hmm. And that really gave me a reality check of you know who you were. Mm-hmm. And 
I spent four years in Australia. You know, that's what I accomplished in 22 years in Canada. Obviously, that's not everyone who cared about me, but that's certainly everyone who showed up. Then I spent four years in Australia, and my my fiance and I we had an engagement party when we left, and in the throes of COVID, we had about 30 people cancel, and the party had about 70 people there, none of which were family, and all of which I would consider very close friends. And um, that's that's a that's a personal growth that I wish I learned much earlier, uh, but something I'm I'm forever grateful for learning uh, at all. Nice. Again, wow! <laughs> all of your answers bring that wow factor. It's, this is it's re- I got to tell you, it's 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 fun to hear you talk. You you bring some really really cool shit to the table. So, <clears throat> last question before we cut you loose, brother. You've been here. I we really appreciate your time. You're only 26 years old, and I can only imagine what you're going to do in the next 10 or 20 years. I mean, look what you've done in this lifespan of only 26 years. So, what was that? No, no, good. Okay. So, anyway, you're going to accomplish so much more. And when you do what you do, it's going to be, I'm sure, quite amazing, just like what you're doing now. When it's all over, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I can't boil it down to one thing, really. Uh, I, I first and foremost want to be remembered as as someone who is just generally a nice person who treated people well. Uh, I want to be remembered for someone who made a, a meaningful impact on people. And when I think meaningful impact, I don't think about you inspired me to hit a new PR. I think about you. You inspired me to uh, reach out to a family member I hadn't spoken to. You inspired me to um, go for a walk when I, you know, I I was in my bed and didn't want to get out. Um, I just, I just want to be remembered for making some type of change. Very nice. Very nice. Well, brother, really cool, man. I got to tell you, it was a, like I said, a lot of fun having you on the show. And I know we're going to have you come back again because you're, you are very one interesting creature to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I've been told that my whole life in a variety of uh, undertones. (laughs) so that being said, before we wrap it up, Nick Ock, do you have anything for the moose before we cut him loose? I almost feel like I can't call your nickname. It's just so not fitting now that I know you much better. But, you know, Mitchell is so much better. I feel so much better saying Mitchell than the moose now yeah. that I've talked to you. So forgive me if I don't use your nickname moving forward. No, that's, that's the nickname. <laughs> The nickname was just given to me, and and I'd much rather be be Mitchell than the Moose, and, and I don't mind it. But, but Mitchell, in my book, you, brother, that's for sure. If you if you look at the animal, the Moose, he kind of fits that character, though. It's like a mythical beast. You fit that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the mythical part, yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, the beast, yeah. yes, I I guess there's a little tie there, but I'm gonna go with Mitchell. <laughs> so. it, it's a. It dissociates when you become a nickname, you become the athlete. And I'm not I'm not the athlete. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not after talking here, I I so agree with you, brother. Athlete is one little sliver of your existence. You know? And and so, any of our existences. It's just yeah. some people find that out a little bit too late. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to come on. And I this is gonna reach a lot of people and Thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, like I said before we started, the best thing that we can that, that I can get from this entire strongman experience 
uh, is exposure, is um, is leverage to be able to to pass on the messages that I want to put out there. So I have I have all the time in the world to come on and do something like this and, and speak to the people who who listen to you. Right on, Ak. Right on. Well, thank you very much. No, just uh, I want to say thank you for coming on, and uh, it's been a pleasure, you know, hearing your story. And I just wish you wish you uh, continued success in the future and everything that thank you do. You. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, our, our show is about, you know, motivating, motivating people to be the best versions of themselves. And I got to say, brother, you you have taken a different spin on. I mean, the motivation that people are going to get from this episode is going to be very unique, you know, in, in a very positive way. So I I, I got to say me personally, I am so happy I got a chance to talk to you because this was you, you really said a lot of uh, meaningful things and. I think you're going to get a lot of people thinking in a way that they need to think. So I, I appreciate your time, appreciate your words, your wisdom. And uh, that being said, like I said, we're, we're all about motivating people. And I think you brought a different level of motivation. And thank you so much. There you have it as another, another edition of Legends of Iron, everyone. If Mitchell did not get you thinking a little differently, I don't know who the hell will. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Legends of Iron is brought to you by MuscleMint. MuscleMint is the creator of Carnival Pure Beef Protein Isense. Beef builds muscle and Carnivore is the world's number one selling beef protein. And don't forget to try our new Carnivore flavor, Rocket Pop. Oh, damn. Whoa, this is it right here. Wow, is this is protein? Delicious. This is so good to be protein. Woo, we about to change the game with this one. You're gonna love it.